0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Nick Show, episode 41. I am Matthew Miranda, not joined, as always, by Stacey Patton, but in fact joined for the first time ever on the airwaves by Colin Loring. Colin, of course, renowned features writer and social media maven, over at the Strickland um, whose computer is telling them he needs permission to record. But I want Colin to know we're not about that tonight. We're not about asking permission. We're about taking what we want. <laughs> so if, if Zoom is telling you no, fuck it. We don't need We don't need that permission. We're not here to follow the rules. We it's are nice. here. We're just here to, to, to drop right into the next. Colin, where are you right now in the world? I don't actually know even where you are recording from. Uh, currently, I am in Needham, Massachusetts. You're
1: the Massachusetts, you're Boston Celtic country. Right, a little bit, Uh, and I was here for the finals, which was a joy. Uh, (laughs) I got to watch uh, Game 6 out downtown in the middle of all of it, and uh, the tears, it was was excellent. I just stopped ordering drinks at one point, just held my cup under them, and just started taking shots of the Celtics fans' tears in what was such just an epic NBA finals, if you ask me.
0: I really, really enjoyed it. Did you wear uh, yeah. your Nick gear while you were celebrating the Celtics
1: collapse? Um, I'm
0: not. I did not go that far. Uh, good man. Good yeah, man.
1: <laughs> I typically uh, try to stray away from that in uh-huh. cities where there are a little more vicious of a fan base, uh, for safety purposes, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was bold enough. I think I have a Warriors T-shirt that I was rocking out and about. Oh, okay, so
0: couldn't avoid a little poke. I was teetering on the line there. All right, good. Good man. Good man. Um, we're going to get into a fair number of Nick topics today, but as is often the case, I'm going to open with a little trivia. Um, and the first trivia, I literally don't, if anyone can get this correct without cheating, you are like the Nick fan of all time. Um, Colin, only one Nick, this is episode 41. When I think of the number 41 in the Knicks, the only person that comes to mind for me is Glenn Rice, um, the ill fated center of the Patrick Ewing trade. Um, since Glenn Rice, about 20 years ago, only one Nick has ever worn the number 41. Do you have any idea who this person is without cheating? Now we know 40 is Kurt Thomas. We know 42 is Lance Thomas. Yeah. 41 is no Thomas. But do you have any idea what Nick wore the number 41? Uh, shout out to Lance Thomas. Shout out Lance. Brooklyn Zone. First and foremost. Oh. Uh, 41. I'll tell you now, I would never, ever, ever have gotten this right.
1: Yeah. And I tell you, the uh, I listened to the last episode you guys did. Yep. And uh, the 40, that was a good one, too. Shout out to Marshall Plumley. I'm trying to think. <laughs> one. I've got, I mean, what? And this was my guess for 40 was a Munson. But I don't know, what number did he wear? You guys never
0: touched on that, and I can't remember.
1: Did who wear? Lua Munson.
0: Lou Amundsen was let me look that up actually I don't know was it wasn't 41 that much it was not obvious. no no it was not 41 <laughs> and and I should know this because Lou is one of my I have an irrational adoration for Lou Amundsen um, despite and, his short and not magical time as a Nick um, he's such a thoughtful interesting dude there was a piece in the times about that with his mother about how he moved he, the guy had to move like a million times because he played on 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten different teams. Um, Lou Amundsen. I should be able to figure this out with the Knicks. Lou Amundsen. I'll find Lou Amundsen before the episode is over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm going to end the defeat on this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally fair. Bruno Sundov. You may not even remember. Was a Um, More power That's to you. you. Never no, would have gotten.
1: I wouldn't even touch that. Yeah. yeah, I think fair it's run. more
0: impressive that you didn't know that right um, here's, an, here's an opinion trivia for you as i posted earlier this evening to the believe twitter site the nba of course announced earlier today that the league is retiring the number six for all teams in honor of perhaps the goat bill russell certainly the goat of his era um who was the greatest nick ever to wear the number six and i'm going to I'm not going back to the days before any of us saw anything. Tom Gola might have been a nice player, but he's not on this list. I'm going to give you four names. There's Trent Tucker, who's really more of an accumulation guy. Like he was never a great player, but he was there almost a decade. Yeah. John Tyson Chandler. Chandler, who was an all star and a defensive player of the year as a Nick. Uh, a certain Latvian uh, four slash five. And. The last Nick who will ever wear number six, of course, Quentin Grimes, who is so beloved by our Stacy Patton that I am already putting him on this list because other than the statue and the jersey and the rafters, Stacy basically has Grimes already as an all-time Nick great. So in honor of that, I give you those choices. Trent Tucker, Tyson Chandler, Christoph Sporzingis, or Quentin Grimes, who is the greatest Nick to wear the number six in your opinion?
1: Let's... Uh... This is some DeAndre Jordan erasure.
0: I just want to start with, with that. Okay. And I will I will I will I will acknowledge uh proudly that I have more than once on podcasts celebrated how much I enjoyed DeAndre Jordan's passing when he was a Nick. I was very surprised yeah. at his ability to make passes. So it was just the, one of those things we just enjoyed it for the ride. Yeah, yeah. So much, always got some love for DeAndre, but Yes, uh,
1: definitely. No, I'm, I'm very easily going to say Tyson Chandler, obviously. Um, yeah. Just an absolute staple in uh, about to be 26. So in, uh, in, in my lifetime as a Nick fan, just an absolute staple. Yeah. And more so than anybody else on that list, at least for now. I'm, I'm with Stacy on the future all-time great Quentin Grimes <laughs> um, as a New York Knickerbocker in, in the edges of history. But uh, for now, Tyson Chandler has to take that cake for me. Um, who's who's the worst? I mean, it has to be there were a lot. I mean, there I were. was looking at the list earlier. It's I had a feeling can't it's can't, not a good list. Kintel Woods is on the list.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot, but a lot of them were only there one year. Like six has not right. been a good number for the next. Uh Kintel yeah. Woods might have been the most the best combination at number six of he didn't do much and there was scandal around him. Um, he had a dog cruelty charge from Portland. Uh, I think that stuck with him when he was still on the Knicks. So, I can tell Woods would certainly be a candidate for not the best representative of the number six ever.
1: I don't hate it, and uh, I thought it would be in poor taste to say anything officially from the Strickland account, or even from my own personally. But what a blessing that number six is just retired now. I understand that Quentin Grimes is here, but I just don't trust that number in any any facet or context when it comes to the New York Knicks. so. Shout out to Bill Russell and and shout out to the NBA for retiring his number. Thank God we never have to see anybody else wear it. And you know what? Quentin Primes is the last one now. Yep. There's no pure uh, personification of that number in its fading days than, than the young stud on the 3 and D who could potentially be the <laughs> second to the Donovan Mitchell trade. There
0: you go. There you go. All right. Now let's get a little more concrete. Um, we're going to focus – today's episode is basically about um, – early season expectations specifically and I mean I think the early season expectations some of them will probably connect invariably to your overall expectations for the knicks I'm still I, I can't remember who it was someone in Vegas today released the over under for their wins and I think it's 39 and a half um, It is. yeah which I I do over unders every year as a betting thing I love betting over unders and um I've been betting it for years I always gamble on the Knicks one way or the other and I usually have a very immediate clear sense of like that's too low that's too high like I always have a good sense certainly like you're
1: you're currently in a gray area
0: yes in part in part because the obvious reason is well I don't know if the Mitchell trade happens and if it does I don't know what's left but even if the Mitchell trade doesn't happen I am so uncertain about not necessarily the talent on the team as much as I have so little awareness of what I think Thibodeau is going to be like or coach like this year um, that I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to make of it. Um, it's for, a real, you know.
1: For the safety of my sanity, I try to treat it black and white. Uh, so for me, uh, and, and as someone who did support Thibodeau for a lot of last season, I, I regret mm-hmm. a lot of that now, but uh, I tried to hang on to the magic that was his first season. I think there is still some stuff there, but that even that aside, right, I, I look at the roster and talent-wise, just the way that they've upgraded, regardless of, you know, the pen, which I'm sure we'll talk about and the lineups that are yet to be decided. Uh, they've just upgraded in the talent department. And when we're talking about three wins, because they did win 37 games last year, to hit the over, you have to win three more games. And I feel pretty confident that Jalen Brunson does that on his own. Uh, so I will I will be taking the over uh, at 39 and a half, and I do fully expect them to win 40 games. Jalen Brunson on his own accord or Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, and RJ as a, a trio of, uh, of love there. So uh, I feel good about 40 as a, as a baseline for
0: them this year. So let's kind of zoom in as we go. We'll start from a, a big-picture perspective of expectations and zoom into more specific things. If you're figuring them to win around 40-ish games, then do I presume that you think that they are a good shot for the play-in, um, a, lo- a slight long shot? Because the East is is a lot nicer in a lot of places. Where What is your ex- – going into this se- – let me rephrase it. I hate asking that kind of a question. <laughs> you're good. Going into this season, what are you looking for to see in the team that 82 games later you will feel like this has been a success? Does it have to be make the playoffs? Is it even a team metric? Because, like last year, I had no idea how they would do. My metric strictly was I need the young guys to keep improving. I need the team to, like, I got to see, I need to see more growth from the youth. And I did. So, even though the record was a major disappointment, it wasn't because of the young guys. It was really more because of the starting lineup. What do you want to see this year from the Knicks that tells you as next summer rolls around, I know my team is on the right track?
1: It may be simplistic, but honestly, my primary concern right now are two things that I think are pretty evenly split. Um, I need to see Jalen Brunson be worth it for whatever that means contextually, whether that means they make the playoffs or whether that means he just makes everybody better, and then there's still some optimism moving forward because he is the – what number – in a line of names that are supposed to be the answer at the point guard position. And we have each, I'm sure between the two of us written, you know, novels about that position and how it's plagued the team, you know, Uh, I need, I really need this just to be one that sticks, even if only, you know, for this season and then moving forward, it just looks like a good fit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because to not have that looming over the team, I think, would seriously do a lot beneficially for their on-court, you know, kind of work ethic and, and the way they play the game, obviously. Um, and then some, you know, the the B point to that is I need to see Randall be a basketball player again. Uh, obviously, assuming he's here, I think that's that's a big thing for me uh, because we do have him on a contract long term, okay. uh, and he was the official, you know, usher into what is now I believe you know firmly a new era of Knicks basketball and I need either him to be this basketball player not that we saw before but somewhere in the middle and if you haven't read you know Prez's piece over at the Strickland strongly recommend um shout out to him he really dug into every uh, form and, and way that we could see Randall kind of get up here uh, but I really would like to see Randall just be a positive asset for this team again um Either one of those things on their own gives me some shades of optimism, both of them combined, and I could care less about playoffs
0: or you know, any, anything of that context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I don't, I, don't, I don't worry as much about where they end up as much as how they get wherever they end up. And I think, you know, I feel like a lot of people threw in the towel on Randall very early. Um, I don't expect him to be who he was two years ago, but I also don't expect him to be who he was last year. Exactly. And as as long as there's a middle ground, that's a valuable player either to, to play with or on a very reasonable deal with the rising cap. Maybe you work him into a trade first. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about, you know, do they make the first round? Are they competitive? I need the same thing as you, um. The reason I am right now, and it's it's like almost makes me physically ill to say that I have confidence about the Nick backcourt. Um, but it's not just the acquisition of Brunson that makes me feel better than I think I have since I can't remember, but the fact that I, I think the Nick backcourt right now is arguably the strength of the team. Like if you have Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, either Derrick Rose or Evan Fournier is your fifth best guard. There are a lot of years that person would be the next best guard, whether point or shooting. So there's more depth in the backcourt, even if they don't make a Mitchell deal. Um, I agree with you. I, I do. I'm very curious about Brunson because I'm very curious to see how he looks to play in a completely different role than he's ever had before. Like he's not playing with Luca. He's not deferring to I don't see Brunson deferring to Randall the way that he did to Donchich. I don't think that's why they brought him in. Um, But I have no idea how that's going to turn out for him. So I think that'll be really interesting. I mean, I'd like to see him just come in and be the
1: point guard. And for me, that means you don't defer to either of those guys. And that includes Mm -hmm. RJ. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't love saying that, but again, it's, we're starting from scratch at the point guard position for all intents and purposes. I love Emmanuel quickly, young, unpolished. This is a veteran that we're bringing in his years in the NBA just came off some incredible play in the postseason. Like I want him to come in and just be that PG one and not worry about anything else. It's just, how can he get the teammates involved? But I don't, I don't care to see him deferring to Randall because of what Randall's been or, you know, who he might be now in the locker room. And the same thing with RJ, despite his rise, you know, at the end of the last year, you know, after the all-star break, I still, RJ has never had that kind of point guard play. So let's show him what that can look like for his own game instead of continuously forcing the ball in his hand, because Randall can only dribble it off of his genitalia.
0: (laughs) I (laughs) I never imagined it that way. Um I think RJ might have the shock of his life playing with a backcourt that features an actual point guard. And I'm hoping I'm a I shouldn't say assume. I'm hoping Grimes starts alongside Bunsen. He may not right off the bat, but I can't so where, imagine. Where are you at on that? I want to hear this. I'm interested. So I I can't imagine after watching Kemba and Fournier struggle defensively the way that they did. Like I can't see Fournier lasting long in a starting backcourt along Brunson, who's a good, I think he's a pretty good off-the-ball defender. Um, I think he's good chasing around, you know, players who are more catch-and-shoot, but he's not a ball stopper, and Evan Fournier is definitively not a ball stopper. Not that Grimes is necessarily, you know, Davion Mitchell either, but you have to have some guard who can defend, and it's not Fournier. Um, so but again, my question here is Is Thibodeau going to make that move? Um, because this is not a guy, generally speaking, who throws second year players with I would guess less than 60 games of playing time into a starting lineup, but I think he should. Um, this is where I get to my confusion about Thibodeau. I don't know last year how many of Thibodeau's moves were driven by necessity or desperation. I don't know if there was some disjunct between him and the front office because it seemed at times like he didn't want to use players that the team obviously valued and brought in. Um, I would like to see Grimes start because I think it immediately, if you have Brunson and Grimes, I think it just is so much better in terms of two-way play. I think it lets everybody on the court focus more on what their uh, strong suits are rather than if you have Fournier out there already your defense is compromised. Um I don't know, but I don't I don't know. I don't some people seem very confident Grimes is going to start. How do you feel about that? I wish, but who are you betting right I now? Who's reason. starting
1: right now? Who's starting opening night? I've got my starting 5. It's right. Brunson, Fournier, Barrett, Randall and Robinson. Yeah. I that's what I expect. If I had to put money down right now, that is exactly what it's going to be. Yep. It's going to be Rose, Quickly, Grimes, Toppin, and Hartenstein as that key second group, and then everybody else is an outlier. <laughs> um, I just – again, for all the reasons that it makes sense, that's why it's not going to happen, because that has continuously been the case with Tom Thibodeau in his tenure as coach okay. of this team. Um, he has, lineup decision-wise, done very little – correctly in my opinion almost in, in his in his entire tenure uh, but again there are questions about the behind the scenes and what's driving what and without being the fly on that wall again I don't drive it too personally towards him as a head coach but just it's an acceptance of he is what he is and what he is is somebody who is going to play Brunson obviously Fournier who I mean, had a good season last year, and that's my thing, too. Is he that did. I, He did. He did what he does. I like Fournier, and, you know, mm-hmm. he may be half of a turnstile on defense, but mm-hmm. that man can shoot the fucking ball. And when you've got Brunson, Barrett, Robinson, and then Randall, who's shooting has just kind of fallen off and then come back up and then fallen mm-hmm. off again, I think you need some semblance of uh, security, a security blanket, basically, from a three-point perspective and being able to space the floor. Um, and as much as Mitchell Robinson loves to shoot threes and gyms in the middle of Louisiana during the summertime, that out, work out, Mitch! In there. So I think uh, I think it's Bronson. I think it's Fortier, uh, and I think that there's a theme with Derrick Rose being back and kind of being this leader of the Knicks kids that is going to continue and playing him with Quickly and Grimes and Toppin, and then Hartenstein, who's only 24, but 165 games or so under his belt. Uh, So that's a good, reliable center, which Rose needs for a a good portion of his game um, as far as rim protecting and and the lob threats. So uh, I think that Rose will continue playing with Quickly and Toppin uh, because they were so, so good in 2020 and 2021, Uh, and I think that they're going to continue to put Grimes in that mix. I think there will be a twenty twenty five game benchmark for Fournier um, where there's going to be an evaluation. But again, uh, betting right now, Fournier will be starting. There's a financial commitment that goes into it, too. He will be starting it, two, you know, on opening night, barring any injury or he's included in some trade of sorts, obviously.
0: It's weird to say this and feel this way, but I do feel that – the arguably the best chance the Knicks have to settle on their most efficient lineup next year is going to require injuries to people. Like I think rhymes will start starting when Fournier has like a two week absence because of like a hamstring pull. I think OB will get time really only because maybe Randall gets hurt at some point because I don't. So two things I can't figure out with the rotation and maybe you have like feelings about this. One is, I still don't see how Obi gets the time that he deserves unless Randall is taking a significant drop, which seems unlikely because Thibodeau is not going to suddenly decide. I don't really need a rim protector. And we haven't seen any evidence. It, it never matters what Obi does. Like, I mean, literally last year, I would love to have seen last year if the season went a hundred games, what would, what would Thibodeau have done after Obi had that stretch at the end? when Randall's ready to come back like would he I don't think he would have given him any more minutes so Neither. is Toppin going to get this year let me see last year what Obi got last year Obi top. and remember he got a huge bump because of all it the playing stupid. time he got the last few games Obi Toppin last year played 17 minutes a game which is absurd it's ridiculous you play, you play a first who, who who can't even really play for you 17 minutes so how is Obi Toppin going to get up to 24 minutes a game? He's not. Unless someone is going to
1: start? A, who's going to start a point guard when
0: Brunson gets hurt? I think quickly. I, uh, I think hmm, that's a good question. Quickly or Rose? Um, I think quickly because I think Tibido. well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. He may have some
1: reservations about putting Rose in the spring lineup. Yeah. Yeah, he might start. Can I tell you? You may already know, but just need to be on record so we can continue to shame this man who is our head coach. (laughs) Last year, quickly, Fournier, Barrett, Randall, and Robinson, as a five-man group, finished where amongst, like, lineups played? I'm figuring high up there.
0: Second to last on the Knicks. Second to last. Second to last? Yeah. Quickly, Fournier, Barrett, Randall, and Mitch?
1: Quickly with the starters. Okay. Was their second least used five-man lineup. Oh, I thought you meant effective, not used. No, 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 no. It was quite the opposite. Yeah, man. that. I, yeah, perfect. that I believe. That I believe. Yeah, they played seventy-two possessions and thirty-eight minutes out of an entire season.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If
1: you hear those numbers, and you think that. Start start of the year, or you think that Oppen is going to play twenty five minutes a game? I just I don't know what to tell you. It's, he's he's yeah. the
0: same guy he was. That's yeah. not changing. And unless there is an injury in the backcourt, like I have a hard time seeing how much time th- three bench guards are going to get. Like I figure Brunson's going to play thirty two minutes a game. He's their starting point guard. You gave him. Yeah, I think only the fourth nine-figure deal in franchise. Like he's gonna play. Uh, Fournier is gonna play. Quickly is gonna play. So maybe you can count on Rose will miss enough time with injury that it kind of takes care of itself. But if he doesn't, if Rose is healthy, which is what everybody hopes for, I don't. I don't understand how they're gonna rotate five guards. I guess you could. You could swing. You could swing Fournier. You could play three guard and play Fournier like at the three more. Um, but I, I'm I have no idea right now how this team is going to look, and and I and it comes again back down to I'm not I'm not anti-Thibodeau. I defended Thibodeau for a lot last season. Um, but in terms of offense, I don't know what he's going to do. I have no idea how he's going to structure this team. How he's going to lead? I have no, no clue. No clue. The
1: other thing you know I've noticed that it's always for him since he's been here. It's always never been about who starts. It's always been about who finishes. So when you get into that Grimes-Fournier conversation, could we see Grimes in some closing lineups? I wouldn't yes. be surprised, yes. dependent upon the night, right? right. Um, but right. again, you know, in, in the most long-winded way we've answered this question, I do think it'll be Fournier. Um, and the five guard, I mean, it's going to be tough, and that's another reason why, you know, Miles McBride, you know, I love you. You're fun to watch. But there is just nothing for you in New York, my brother.
0: Like yeah, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't see it. There's no way. So another I mean this is gonna sound a little obvious, but I think for me, in terms of trying to get a sense, maybe in the first quarter of the season, first third of the season, like what to expect from this team. Um there has been a fairly striking trend the last 10 years with the Knicks. Um last 10 years. The Knicks have been good two years. They were good in 13, 2013, when they won the 54 games. Uh, and they were good two years ago, obviously. Every other year has been a struggle. If you go through all of those seasons, the, the one characteristic that they all have is that every year, and this this will sound obvious, but like sometimes you got to break it down, you know, subatomically. The Knicks tend to stink during seasons that they have at least one. Like just debilitating losing streak. Not every team loses like that, um, but the Knicks do. You know, in in 2014 they started three and four, they lost nine in a row. The next year they were two and one, they lost seven straight and 35 of 38, which is just astonishing even to remember in retrospect. The next year, 2016, they're 22 and 22, they lose 11 of 12. Derek Fisher gets fired. 2017, 16 and 13. They lose nine to ten. The next year, sixteen and thirteen. They lose twenty three of thirty. The next year, twenty nineteen. They win their first game. Lose fourteen of seventeen. Twenty twenty is the Fisdale year. They they did us the favor of never actually seeming like they were good. Four twenty.
1: How miserable! <laughs>
0: right. What was a amaz- meme? And it's it's become a meme now, and for good reason. Like so, when I marked about that year in twenty in Woodson's last year, no I'm sorry, in Fisher's first year when they had that streak where they lost 30 35 of wow. 38. Like I lived through the 90s. I've seen some bad teams with the Knicks but like not I remember the Knicks as a good team. Like I'm not shocked when they're good. It feels like that's how it should be. I've seen a lot of bullshit. But when they lost that 35 of 38, like I felt like I did in college once when I was I did so many uppers that I was awake for like 42 hours in a row. And I remember just getting off the bus on campus to go to class and being so just desiccated and miserable as a person. Like I wanted to murder the world. Like I I just wanted sleep and I couldn't get it. And I wanted to murder the world. And that year following the Knicks was like, (laughs) I just want to murder the world because three and 35 is historically push it. But so obviously duh, like don't lose a lot of games in a row, but there are things that point you towards losing many games in a row. Some of those years, one of those years Carmelo got hurt and they just didn't have the depth um, to really run an offense with him not there. Um, I think injuries do it. I think coaches that don't have a handle on things, you know, can let shit get away. Um, I mean, it's just been the overall instability. Yeah. You know, let's call
1: and, it what it is. Have been yeah, go ahead. One of the more erratic roller coaster teams, you know, in that span that you just went through. Uh, I mentioned 21. You say they only lost three straight, three times. Yeah. And four times only once. Yeah. That's, yeah. I remember looking at that. And that, they made the playoffs. You yep. know, some things are, you can't argue.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, so uh, that adds to my, that adds to me for the questions with Thibodeau because I generally respect Thibodeau as a coach that I think that kind of stuff shouldn't happen with him. It did last year, obviously more so, but and I trust Tom Thibodeau more than David Fisdale or Derek Fisher or Jeff Hornacek. Like no question. I trust him more than those people. But as you pointed out, the organization instability is like built into the fabric of the franchise they never re-sign their draft picks and they never keep their coaches after two or three years. So you're constantly relying on free agents who have no affiliation with your team, no built-in loyalty or affection. Um, They weren't around to know what kind of program you're trying to run. So my big question coming to this year for for me is, is Thibodeau going to survive the season? Because the last Nick coach who coached Three full seasons. I'm not gonna count Mike D'Antoni because the first two were just throwaway tanking seasons. Um yeah. the last Nick coach who actually coached three or more seasons in a row is Jeff Van Gundy. Um That's really- and it's not yeah, it's yeah. not it's I mean it's, it is a Dolan thing, but it's not just a Dolan thing. And if you go back, you know, before Van Gundy in the 20th century, it wasn't as as stable as you'd like to see. So I wonder if they got off to a bad start. You know, one thing that's been nice about the next last couple of years is I don't feel like there has, they don't seem like a locker room that's had problems. You don't hear like anonymous quotes getting out to the press. You don't hear like veiled digs at Thibodeau.
1: I think it's just, if anything, they've been very isolated instances that have been manageable and the locker room itself has largely been positive. Um, I think there's probably more to Randall's behavior last year, Uh, but maybe also what you're speaking to is the solidarity of not letting that stuff get out and kind of just handling it as a team, you know, um, because I'm sure teams deal with things all the time that we don't hear about. And I think that says something for the Knicks who, despite, you know, his best efforts at publicly displaying it every other evening, you know, we never heard anything about Randall from behind the scenes, (laughs) uh, So I think there's a certain solidarity that you're kind of getting at, and I I agree with it, and I think that it's the obvious thing to point to, but there's a sense of consistency, continuity, and stability at this point because we've got a group of guys that have all been together, a core group that have been together at least two years, some three years. They know each other. They know the team. They know the staff, and that's what it means to build something. Mm-hmm. you can't build something when you're bringing in guys who have no familiarity with an organization and the guys that are there when they get there also have no familiarity with the organization. Hence, you know, previous years where they've had these slow starts with and slow as being generous, but, um, uh, <laughs> I think. I don't know. It's hard. I think that Thibodeau has a better shot at surviving this year than not surviving this year. If that makes sense. Because of Um, Leon
0: Rose or because you think the organization has turned a leaf in terms of stability?
1: Yeah. I think a number of things. I think there's going to be, I I get a sense of almost not like a stubbornness, but just a commitment and a dedication to the, the process that they've put forth and the things that they believe in. And I think one of those things is Tibbs. And I think one of those things is RJ. And I think one of those things is Julius. Um, And honestly, probably Mitch, you know, as as players, those guys, they're committed and dedicated to, and they believe in them. And I think they feel the same way with uh, Tibbs. And I think the product that they have right now is just so much better than anything that we were experiencing or watching in these years where Dolan was interfering or when he wasn't even really interfering, but decisions just had to be made. And I think, you know, you have a coach that we're holding accountable, but why are we holding him accountable? Because we have better talent. And because of that, the team should be better. But that doesn't also always mean that it's on him that they're not better. Again, there are a lot of things that I think he couldn't control, but there were equally as many things he could control with lineup decisions and such. Mm-hmm. But and I hate to teach. Him this, but again, that's what I'm trying to say. I think he really has a better chance of being the coach at the end of the season. And maybe he's fired next offseason, but I would firmly believe that he is the coach through the end of this year just for the sake of the this this uh, mentality that the front office seems to have where they're seeing things through Mm -hmm. Um, and and that would especially speak volumes to me when Fournier and Randall are still on the team to start the year that's kind of for me like no one in the front office watched Fournier last year and thinks that he's you know all defense guard you know like They know what he is, but they also know what they paid for. And they're not going to let that sway them from decommitting and jumping off the bus early. And it's the same thing with Randall. They've seen him low. They've seen him high. and Now they've seen him in some weird in-between. And I don't think that's going to dissuade them from continuing forward with that right now unless something materialized that was just too good to pass up. So I think – for right now, I think Thibodeau's job is safe, and I'll be honest—I did not feel that way at the end of the season. But I think the way that the offense or the off-season, excuse me, has played out has kind of given me a better sense that they are going to take what they have now and ride with it uh, for better or for worse.
0: Mm-hmm. To your point on continuity and the benefits of it, um, this will be my thirty-third season watching the Knicks like full-time. Shout out Patrick Ewing for the number and for the love that kept me going one of the most satisfying seasons I had as a Nick fan was a lousy season. It was 2000, I think three, um, they won like 37 games. They never really sniffed the playoffs. It's post Ewing, the Allen Houston, speedwell Glenn Rice. Um, but the thing that I really liked about that team was that, and the thing that made it enjoyable was that there was enough continuity still between players that, um, like I think Charlie Ward was still there. Um, there was enough. Kurt Thomas was still there. There was enough continuity that even though they were overmatched every night, when you watched them play, it was not a team that lost because they didn't know how to win, or because they were just not talented, or because they were they were hopeless. They lost because other teams had more talent, but they maximized what they could do. It wasn't it wasn't a high level, but whatever their ceiling was they tended to hit it. They lost a lot of games. I mean, a lot of teams do, but they lost a lot of games late because they they didn't have, they didn't have the guy and you know, other teams did, but watching the Knicks, the first half of the time I rooted for them in my life, there was a lot of continuity and continuity always pays off and has been something they've really gotten away from. And I hope that we see benefits from it. Cause I feel like what's really nice about, I think this is a very talented Knick team. Like, there have been a lot of years in the past that you look at the roster, the rotation that's going to take place. And there's a handful of people that you're like, I would love to see them gone. I don't really feel that way. When I look at the, the the 10 or 11 guys that we've listed before who are most likely to play. I like all of them. Like, I don't, I don't want to see Jericho Sims go away. I like him. I'm very excited to see Hartenstein. Um, I love Obi. I love even some of the guys who won't play. Like you said, Deuce, I'm very curious about Cam Reddish. I haven't mentioned him because I don't think he has a shot in hell to play for this team. But, like, normally that's a player you'd Another be – Another interested- injury guy. Yeah. Like Another normally, injury guy. You'd, you'd 100%. Be hey. Playing, was- yeah, mm-hmm.
1: eight games and then somebody gets hurt and all of a sudden he's got to play 20 minutes that night because that's who Thibodeau is again, and that's just where he is on the pecking order. And I think uh, – yeah, I I could not agree more with that sentiment – um, Alec Burks, God bless him. And he had his moments, but unfortunately it will forever be clouded by the fact dependent upon how things would quickly shake out. But even then, I think at this point, it's too late that he was started over quickly at the point guard position out of position and thus trade value for all intents and purposes just went, you know, through the depths of hell and all seven gates. So it's just that. And then Nerlens Noel, I just, man, he had some fun moments, but Outnumbered four to one on a ratio by all the times he could not catch the ball. Yep. I mean, it's just yep. with those the two gone, no. And, and the, you know, the only thing you could ask for is that Taj is still here, but you know what? Yeah.
0: But I'd rather see
1: Hart and Hart and Sims.
0: I will take over Noel and Gibson.
1: I'm interested. I don't, I'll be shocked if we see a lot of Jericho. I'll be shocked. Yeah, I feel that way, too. I really is, don't think.
0: Which I don't like.
1: I don't think it's going to go three bigs. I really just don't see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, this just stuck into my head when you mentioned the um, – when you started talking about the Thibodeau years here. Do you remember the last Nick wear number six, before Quentin Grimes?
1: Yeah. He who must not be named, Alfred Payton.
0: That is correct. That is very. I'm sorry to take your brain there, but I, I have a kind of thing with numbers and I, I had to get that out. Uh, but yes, Alfred Payton. Yeah, no,
1: I think, I, think my, I think my settings
0: may have lagged a little bit too, because trust me. I'm not tell people you were just Alfred so Payton. horrified that you were refusing to speak or if the, the Zoom screen had gotten kind of funky. no. no, no. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it was an internet connection thing. I remember Uh, when Peyton originally signed with the team thinking that he would bring some competition to the point guard room. Yeah. And, uh, man, man, did he bring some competition? It was just all off
0: the court and not on the court. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I loved him when he was drafted. Um, I was very excited because his rep was, you know, defensive stud, not a shooter, but like a, a point guard who was more concerned in defending and distributing is like, is like, in the goofus and gallant of nba archetypes that's a gallant like you want that kind of right. guy okay he can't shoot fine but he's not like ricky davis he's not a un you know just unethical chucker um yeah and at but, the time even more reliable than, than neil akina ever was on no yeah
1: exactly
0: as you said it has been a long time at this position um, so let me ask you one last question colin um Obviously, the Donovan Mitchell trade is still, unless you have the blessing of, of being a Mets fan and having something great in your life, you, know, you have this situation kind of hanging over the Knicks. Um, they really can't do anything about it. Either the Jazz will have to alter their expectations or the Jazz will have to make a deal with someone else. Um, but as we're all waiting to see, do they get Mitchell? If they get Mitchell, what do they give up for Mitchell? It feels very much to me like a time where it reminds me of times in my own life where you're sitting around and you know something momentous is going to happen relatively soon, but you have no control over when you have no control over the over the decision. You're just stuck like a boat in the middle of the ocean. You're just waiting for some wind. Do you recall any time in your life, Colin Lorian, in your pre-social Maven life where you were... (laughs) Just kind of stuck like that. You knew something was coming, but you didn't know when, and you didn't know how it was going to turn out. I first and
1: foremost good for the Mets, but I am an Orioles fan, and we are. Oh, having are a great- you?
0: You're having a very I, nice second half of the so season. Guess what? I am having a blast, despite yeah. your wishes. All right, so no, I thought I. Is- I, for some reason, I thought you were. I think it was, you seem very like like you have a soul. So I thought you were a Met fan, not a Yankee fan. Orioles are totally cool. I have no beef with the Orioles. Yeah, um, I'm very much, uh, very you had much. Enjoying a very nice July and August as an Orioles fan. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they they did just lose to the Red Sox
1: tonight, but we'll take it. Yeah. Um, it's funny because at first I was going to say no, but in a lesser sense, I will say that. My job involves me going to different Marriott properties and assisting them systematically procedurally in the food and beverage department. I never know which hotel I'm going to go to next. And there's always a week where I'm in between jobs and I'm at home waiting for the phone to ring oh. so they can tell me which property I'm going to go to. And much like to your point, this pending Mitchell trade with the Knicks, the opportunities are just endless, mm-hmm. and it is an anticipation game, and it is uh, quite the anxiety inducer. But I uh, see that
0: that would kill me.
1: Yeah, uh, so I do try uh, to to occupy my mind, uh, but yeah, nonetheless, that, there are some similarities there, uh, but largely on a grander scale, no. Um, but this is something that I deal with every three or four months where I'm in a lull and I have to have to wait for my next relocation and uh, definitely can see a lot of that with the Knicks and and how we're all waiting for training camp to start. So Danny
0: Ainge can get off the golf course and get serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can think of two occasions where I have felt this way. One was, um, so I've been to three different grad schools and every time i've applied to grad school there's that period of like you have to wait and you start thinking like what if i don't get in like i'm trying to pursue this this path this avenue but if it's closed off to me like what do i do then and the last graduate degree i got was an mfa in creative writing and i applied to i think 10 programs and the first 6 i think said no and i was in this very like low desperate time in life and i needed a break i needed this This i've been working toward this for years and every school has a different deadline and every school so i'm waiting and i'm waiting and i'm waiting um and the anxiety of just like no 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 like no makes me wonder like how leon rose gets any sleep because it's obvious this is what he wants to do it's obvious it's what the team it's what he's wanted to do since he got here and then you actually fucking find out that your your whole in fact, I'll tell you exactly what it reminds me of. When I was in my first grad program, um, it was an English program, I had to write uh, a master's thesis and I had an advisor who was a uh, a real dick and I wanted to write my master's thesis on the short stories of Jorge Luis Borges, who's this Argentinian fiction writer, but he wrote in English. Like He was bilingual, um, but he wrote in English. And this, this tool bag would not let me he would not sign off on the project because he said like Borges wasn't an English, you know, he was not English first, therefore I couldn't do him. And I'm like, first of all, it's the 21st century. Secondly, if you read Milton, like Milton's barely English in the 21st century anyway. And also like, what the fuck? So I had to go over this guy's head. The department had gave me finally clearance to do it. And as a lesson to all you kids out there, I had been, uh, venting to my father the whole time about this, how how annoying this process was. And as soon as the department had approved it, I wrote an email to my dad and I tore into this professor. I'm calling him names. I'm ripping him up, a- blah, blah blah blah. And just as I go to hit the send button, somehow I see that it was the professor's name in the, you know, in the two line, and not my dad. And I came very close to doing something very stupid. So always check yourself. And your email before you make an aggressive move um i learned my save yeah i learned my, i learned a lesson there i'm still waiting to learn my yeah. lesson that was creepy that was creepy um so that is it for episode 41 of the next believe podcast uh colin where can the people find you out there what are you doing where can they follow you yeah, please. Uh,
1: on Twitter at cologne loring, C O L O G N E L O R I N G. I'm going to be uh, pushing the, the newsletter back up here uh, this week later on. Uh, so you can find that at uh, small sample uh, Give it a subscription. It is uh, my own little private corner of uh, basketball imagination. Appreciate you guys.
0: Okay. Uh so that's gonna be it for this episode. Stacy is uh basically James Bond right now. He's all over the world, he will not be back for a bit. Um, so we're gonna have um various guests for a couple of weeks. We should have Schwinn on um next week for the first time. So I'm extremely excited. I've never done a solo pod with Schwinn, and I don't know which one of us will survive, but I think it will only be one of us so. Don't tell him that I was on the episode before that because I don't want him to get
1: nervous about having to follow me up and it's just it would send him into a spiral.
0: So we'll just keep this between us for now. I'm gonna send him one of those those paper bags they give you on the airplane for when you hyperventilate. Make sure he chill. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's I it for it. this episode. Um you can follow us on Twitter at believe Um you can email us at believe uh, sorry, believe at gmail.com um let me know let us know about your expectations um we'd love to hear from your feedback on some of the stuff on the show talk about it on the air a bit next time so look out for us look out for the next episode look for this one to drop tomorrow um, for the absent stacy patton and the blessedly present colin Loring. thank you everybody and we will see you next time